0: Uh, Stepping into our identity, we have a spiritual identity. Some of us are uncomfortable with that. Um, Some of us uh, move around parts of it. And as I shared with you last week, perhaps much of the church, especially in the West, uh, has found a lot of good things to do, a lot of God things to do. We We can serve people. We can take care of people. We can love people. Uh, we can uh, take care of the poor, uh, the, the orphans. We can do lots of things. We can invest in, and these are all good things. And they're the kinds of things uh, God would engage in. They are indeed. But it is not the measure of the church. And, and we can't exchange or change. Change. Uh, some of the character of God, and and some of the works of God, to be what God has called us to do. Altogether, you see, we are really here participating with God in the rescue and the deliverance of the world. I don't know that. I, I think often the church would like to just make that optional. Uh, we would like to do good things and and the bet is if we do enough good things and we act good enough that people will migrate into our ranks. They will get tired of their drama. Uh, they will get tired of their struggles and they will migrate into the church. And the church will grow through migration. But... In my years of being a pastor, here's what I have come to know. Is that people rarely are ready to give up their drama, even if they hate it. People struggle to give up their struggles, even when they hate their struggles. People struggle to walk away from the things that, that torment them, And so migration only creates a body of dramatized people. Without change, without God touching people, without some evidence of God touching people, it's just a migration of broken, wounded, hurt people into a collection of people. Does that make sense? And the church can become really a microcosm of the world, the difference is we're just trying to do good things. Because God is about doing good things, but that isn't really the call of God. And so the nature of the church struggles to find its own identity very often when it makes just kind of doing good things and being good people, which, by the way, the church doesn't actually do that better than the world either. Uh, you know, you won't find atrocities outside of the church that you don't find inside the church. So there must be more. There has to be more than this idea of being a believer, a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Then we are a collection of people trying to do good things for other people in such a way that other people are impressed with it and join our ranks to become also good people who are trying to do good things. I want to show with you, and this is not actually my list, uh, I borrowed this, uh, but I want to show you uh, a chart of how the church grew in the first century, and it was not about migration. Uh in the, uh, This is a chart that really shows the two things that work together that made something happen with the church. Now, I want you to understand, this is not just about let's get a bigger church. You can do that with migration. But this is about people being transformed or touched by God in such a way that they become a part of God's community, no matter where that happens to be. But we see, this is in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it's really Pentecost. It's the time when the Spirit came and visited people for the first time. And then there's a preaching, so there's this work of power. Then there's preaching by Peter, and it says that 3,000 came to know God that day. In chapter 3, verse 8, we see the crippled is healed. Then Peter gives the message on what's really going on. What's the spiritual, what's the unseen part? And then 5,000 believed that day. And then we have the miraculous signs that, that Philip was a part of It, Philippi. Philip is preaching. It says men and women came to believe. And then Philip appears, is kind of trans, you know, ported. Uh, And Philip preaches and teaches to the eunuch, and the eunuch is saved and baptized that day. Angels appeared in a vision, and the vision falls. Peter explains what's going on. He preaches the gospel, and it says Gentiles get baptized. It says the Lord's hand was with them, and men from Cyprus, we don't even know who they are, are preaching the gospel, and it says, and many believed. Go ahead. Here's another chart. Great numbers believe. Churches in Asia, churches rise up in Europe. There's this evidence of God's grace. The Holy Spirit falls, miraculous signs and wonders. The crippled are healed. There's demons cast out. And on the other side, we see there's this preaching that goes with it. Great numbers believe. Churches in Asia, Europe, people divided come together. Disciples gather. Believers gather. You see what happens? You see what happens when there's the the presence of God in a way that people are touched, in a way that people are influenced, in a way that has a supernatural component. And it's not just about being supernatural. It's about the fact that there is a God who can operate outside of the physics that you are limited by. It's a God that brings a hope beyond your hopelessness. You see, that is the measure. It's not just about, you know, super cool magic tricks. But it is about a power greater than the ones at work in your life, a power greater than the ones that you have availability to through your own hands and your own thinking. It's about something that can make things right that you can't. That is attractive. And when these come together... Uh, and it does two things. People are changed. People gather. People believe. People change. People are influenced. People are affected. Then they come and they gather, and it, it becomes the people of God. It becomes the church. It's not about numbers. It's not about Sunday school. It's about people encountering something greater than themselves. It's about people having a hope that is empowered from beyond where. Their reality is. Next slide. It goes on. The earthquake and the prison doors open up. Paul and Silas are preaching what's going on. The jailer and his whole house, they get saved. Uh, We see God's power in chapter 18, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 1 through 5. And Paul preaches. It says, many believe. Then the extraordinary miracles Uh, in 1911 and 12, and it says it, it raises up the churches in Asia. You see, this is different. This is different than trying to be good and doing good things. This isn't anemic. It isn't powered by your ability to be good or your ability to be eloquent it's not powered uh, by how much money I have to go out and buy clothes for people or money for people, but it's powered by God, and it operates beyond me. And You see, there was a demand here on the believers that to operate in this way, where the church or the, 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 the world really was influenced, it really was helped, it really was touched its paradigm, its reality, really did change. And over a few short years, thousands and thousands of people, some of them, their circumstances really didn't change. They were still hungry. They were still unemployed. They were still fatherless. And yet God had touched them in such a way that their reality became different. That there was a hope and a power beyond what they had known. I was talking with a friend of mine this week. This friend of mine is homeless. This friend of mine has been homeless. Uh, This friend of mine is jobless. This friend of mine is sick. Many physical issues. So I went to see this friend How are you doing? All the rain. He's living in a tent in this flood area near the Houston area. I'm doing great. Really? Tell me more. Because the last time I talked with him, he was hopeless. It's like nothing in his life was ever going to work out. Nothing was there for him. And then in this conversation, I said, what's going on with you? What's different? Jesus, he's come into me, given me hope. He's changed everything. Now, it doesn't look like he's changed anything to my eyes. He looks good. He sounds good. I thought, wow, this is incredible. So he, he goes over to this church, uh, and he does things over there, and he learns over there, and he's connecting in over there. And I have great confidence that God is doing something It's truly changing his world. Things that couldn't be fixed by me and others who tried. You see, that's what he needed. He needed something beyond what humans can do for the human condition. As we talked about that last week, we talked about the fact that it introduces this paradigm, this spiritual warfare, if you will, This reality that if that world exists, if that power world exists, then that power is coming up against something else. It's coming up against something that's broken in us. You see, if that power of God is coming and doing good things, then it is subverting. It is overcoming bad things. If the power of God is at work and is really doing things that changes and, and, and takes the corruption out and, and heals, and restores, and all those things, then it is coming up against and defeating hopelessness. It's coming up against and defeating corruption. It's coming up, and it's defeating lies, and resentment, and unforgiveness, and hatred, and fear, and greed, and lust. It's coming up against these things, and it's able to beat them. And the scripture calls that spiritual warfare, And it says, indeed, there is a spiritual component to these broken and dark parts of our lives. And we can buy into Western science as the total story. We can buy into philosophy as the the total story, but it won't answer all the questions, no matter how much philosophy or reasoning or science you bring. You won't be able to answer the whole story. Even Einstein suggested this. Uh, I have many quotes from Einstein. Uh, he, He read the New Testament. He said, I have no issue with the New Testament, and I have no issue believing that God authored this book. He also made the comment that religion without science is lame, but so is science without religion. You see, those answers are left unfinished with just logic. The scripture reveals there is a spiritual warfare. And when we call upon the goodness of God, the power of God, the restoration power of God, the hope of God, that it is subverting something. It is going up against something that is beating us or beating those in our lives. And the scripture calls this spiritual warfare And it says that a big key part of being under Christ, a big key part of living that life is to discern that reality and to not let it go, to never let it cloak itself as just simply my personality. I'm mean and arrogant. It's just me. Really. So you're saying God created you to be mean and arrogant, Some would argue God probably did not create you to be mean and arrogant. And that that is something that was added to the design of God. That's discernment. We looked at this last week. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We began to look at human thinking and the spirits behind human thinking. I think we're all called to think. God gave us a mind to think. He gave some of us are just incredibly brilliant, but all of us have great capacity to think. But we must also understand there is a spiritual component and a spiritual quality that has every capability of influencing our thinking. Colossians 2.8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete. that philosophies that don't, don't acknowledge the God component are broken. They're flawed. And they will lead you wrong. High-sounding human thinking. These really go together. These really go together. High-sounding human thinking. And then it goes on. This is what we shared last week. It it goes on to add to that spiritual powers of this world, elemental spiritual forces. These are the forces at work all the time that are a part of this world, a part of Satan's domain. They They are the part that can bring great influence in our thinking. They can have a great effect on us. They will use every part of our humanness. When I'm hungry, they will take advantage of that. When I'm tired, take advantage of that. When I'm frustrated, they'll take advantage of that. When I'm frustrated with you, they will take advantage of that. When I'm frustrated with God, oh, they take a lot of advantage on that. I have a flood of reasons why I'm right and God is wrong. I have a flood of reasons why you're right, you're wrong, and I'm right. I have a flood of reasons that almost always paint me well. These three are at work, and what the Scripture tells us is Be captured by Christ who is the fullness of God. Let the reality of the spiritual world take its role. Because if we don't acknowledge that spiritual fight, then we are already working from a defeated position. If if I'm not if I just say, okay, that was the twin chili cheese dogs. Uh, that was because she said that. That was because he did this. If, if, I, if I have all these reasons why it turned out the way it did, and I leave no room for the reality that there's something else at work. You know, I... Um, Every now and then, not very often, but every now and then I will stay up late and I find that late at night you got all these shows like you know, Forensic Files or 48 Hours all these things basically were you know, somebody is kidnapped or dead and now they're figuring out who did it. You know what's so disheartening is you see you know um, somebody called me a name so I went over there to you know, confront them. And yes, I took a shotgun and then I killed somebody because they called me a name. And it seems like over and over these shows show the capacity of humanity to get trapped in thinking and in philosophies where they feel like they had to do it. And then later on, even watching them, often cry because they're sitting in a room saying what they did to someone they love. Their girlfriend, their boyfriend, their mother. And it's so disheartening to me. Because see, what was, what the fail was, there was a spiritual quality at work. There was something going on. The suggestion, don't let them get away with this. And I've shared some of my own stories where I, I, I've fallen into that trap. As a pastor, I've fallen into that trap. One I shared, I think, a couple of weeks ago or something. My car kept getting broken into at the Houston Vineyard. And, uh, I, you know, one night, it's like 1230 in the morning, I, I saw the guy getting stuff out of my car, broke the window. And he had my garment bag, and I'm chasing him down the street. And, uh, you know, I... Now, I don't know what I would have done if I caught him. But I'll I'll tell you, the next day, I'm telling my my senior pastor. I'm on staff, full-time pastor, man of God, supposedly. And uh, so what I said, there was a kind of a getaway car at the end of the corner. He jumped in that car, and he went away. I said, he almost died for a garment bag. My boss looked at me and said, so you almost killed for a garment bag. I thought, Oh, wow. That's like on the TV. So you killed him. Why? He took my garment bag. I would, I would, I'd almost rather go to jail forever than to admit that. But see, in that moment, in that violation, there was a spiritual war going on inside me. You see, and in that moment, I could reach justice. It was right there. I could reach it. You see, God's spirit would have never said, kill the man for the garment bag. You see, that's never the spirit of God. Kill the man for the garment bag. It's your garment bag. He's wrong. You're right. Take him out. God would never tell me that. But there was something telling me that. That is the spiritual warfare. In Philippians, we see this need to grow more and more. Paul brings it up with them in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing. You see, the more and more, that's the motive, the power, what's driving you, that love, And then on top of that, that your discernment, your understanding, your knowledge, the things that are going to go to work in those moments of injustice, when you're tired, when you're lustful, when you're arrogant, when you're greedy, when all those things are going on. You see, there's something else that rises in you. It's a knowledge and an understanding to go, is this from God? My my disgust like for this person, my hatred for this person, my contempt for this person, or the way I'm elevating myself, or the way I'm prideful. Are these motivations, are these feelings from God? Or are they from somewhere else? Now, you could say, well, Bill, but some of that just is probably you. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that, is contrary to God. There is a spiritual being, Satan and his minions are contrary to God. So you see, no matter who it is, what we can say is that my spirit and my thinking and my values and my motivations are aligned with Satan's. That's what we can say, whether they're motivated by me and generated by me or by him. So we keep growing. We keep gaining knowledge. We understand the value and the importance of that. You see, it's my conviction, one of the reasons the church struggles to operate in a more supernatural, a more calling upon the power of God, is we just are not all that comfortable in acknowledging and pressing in to the knowledge, the understanding of who God is and what that means for you and me, that that changes everything. If that's true, if God is like that, he's called his people to be like him, and he's called us to be like that, even though it's foreign to us, even though it might be intimidating, even though I don't think it fits my personality, you see, it changes everything because it says, that is who I am called to be. I had had lunch with Kim this week, and you know from her announcement, you would never know this, but she's really a shy, introvert person. but you know i've noticed with her she will like throw down in a restaurant praying for people, engaging people uh, I mean I mean she outdoes me easily and and I, I actually do okay at that. But, you know, I think she prayed for three people or something like that at one lunch. And uh, I thought, man, she's got a good A game going on. And, uh, you know, I was inspired. So thank you. Good work. We have to grow in those things. Those things have to be important to us to operate as the people of God. Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11. God's purpose in all this, would, he would use the church to display that wisdom, that character. He would use the church to make a display of this, a rich variety to the rulers, the principalities that are not seen. Do you hear that? We are now on display To the unseen. That's how big the unseen is. That's where things are going on. And when the church struggles to move into that, and we would rather stay with poverty and and you know, dealing with slavery, those those are great things to deal with. There are many dark demons behind all of those things. But I'm saying you and I in our everyday life we're called to be spiritual beings the spiritual discernment, doing spiritual things. We are on display before these unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, and this was always his plan. He's just re-engaging us into the plan that was always there. And then last week I shared this with you, Matthew eighteen eighteen. Truly I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, we begin to see there is more to our story. We are loosening and binding things that are operating in the heavenlies. This is more than a food court. This is more than a a clothes pantry. There's something bigger going on here. There's something more in our destiny than being good citizens. And for the church to be the church, it just has to grapple with and embrace who it is. And I shared with you that how Jesus in in Matthew 12, he kind of leans into this language and he uses this analogy. You can't go into a strong man's house and steal from him. Unless you bind him up first, then you can steal from him. You might go, well, why is Jesus giving us a lesson on stealing? I mean, what a bizarre concept. He's talking about, and if you want to rob someone, all right, tie them up, then you can really rob them. You can go through all their stuff. Why is he saying that? That's kind of creepy. Here's why he's saying it. It's because... It says Satan is the governor and the ruler of this world. He is the prince of darkness. And things that don't belong to God are under his influence, under his power. And it's saying, if you're going to be the church, then what you're going to do, the whole idea is, you're going to take from Satan what he has. So, for you to rob Satan, for you to take away from Satan what he has, he's saying, you will need to realize that you're going to have to address the power that holds them. There are powers that hold them. And if you're going to set them free, then you will have to deal with those powers. The binding And the loosening. You see how supernatural the call is to be the church? So we see in Ephesians 6, it really talks about how this works. Chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, Before I say this, I want to add something else. You know, when uh, I hear from people, uh, in fact, I heard this this morning, and uh, I have it in my notes here, very often when people say, you know, I'm going to follow God, I'm going to pursue God, I'm going to do the things of God, I'm going to be a witness for God, I'm going to do these things. And then they really come up against a lot of struggles in their life. They come up against, you know, things going wrong, and things are difficult, and Things that were never difficult before are now difficult. And they say, you know, Satan is fighting back. You know, uh, he's pushing back because I'm trying to follow Jesus. Is that true? Probably. That's why we bind the strong man. You see, we have parts of us that are under his control also. And when you're taking something from him, you will have to address the strong man. Now, I I want you to understand something though. We don't see an example in Scripture where that is a lifetime experience. I think I think many people drop away, they go, man, it's too hard. You know, this went wrong, I lost my job, I did this, this is going wrong. I mean, if that's what following Jesus is about, uncle, I'll I'll just be a good person. Every time we see it in the scripture, if there is a testing, if there is a trial like that, it's for a season. It's not a way of life to get beat up by the strong man. It's a season. It just, it's, it's part of the process. We go up against the strong man. And we do because we can. Because we have greater power in us than the strong man. And that's where this comes in, Ephesians 6. Paul shares a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So we see here, be strong, take your stand against what? The strategies of devil. Of the devil. So does, this, does the devil have strategies? You bet he does. You bet he does. Is he going to try to play you? Yes. Is he going to try to play you against your friend, against your spouse? Yes. Is he going to try to discredit you in your own mind, in your own heart? Yes. Will he try to point out that you're actually just a giant hypocrite? Yes. Yes, he's going to do that. He's going to do all every, everything he can to undermine your identity as a true follower of Jesus. He's going he's to do everything he can. He's going to try to disqualify you. He's going to try to disqualify other believers. He's going to try to disqualify the church. He's going to try to disqualify the Bible. He's going to try to disqualify God. He is going to work to disqualify. Remember when we talked about discernment, growing in knowledge and understanding so that you can take your stand against those strategies, so that I can take my stand against those strategies. You know, for me to have real anger and resentment towards a person carrying away my garment bag I would call that relatively normal. Where I go from there determines what knowledge, what spirit I am going to choose. And if I began to pray for that person and I began to intercede for that person and I asked the Lord to love that person in a way they've never been loved, Now, does that sound like something Satan would say, or does it sound like something God would say? You see how it is setting aside the injustice that provided the opportunity. Injustice always provides an opportunity for you and I to be the face of Jesus. Injustice always does that. Are you falsely accused? Perfect. That works perfect. Are you judged? Oh, that'll work perfect. What about are you left out? Did somebody else take the credit? Those are all great places that God would call opportunities. And they are also great places that Satan calls opportunities. Put on the armor of God so that you will be able to stand against all strategies of the devil... But we are not fighting against flesh and blood um, enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You see, Paul begins to outline where is the fight, and he's saying the fight is never here. It's never here. There's not a fight to be won here. But there is indeed a fight. And he calls us in that discernment, in knowledge, to understand what's driving the fight. You see, if somebody on 48 Hours or Missing Persons or any of those other shows, if people grappled with this, then they wouldn't kill somebody that they loved. If People had that discernment in the moment. They called me a name. They lied about me. They stole the inheritance. Yeah, but they're not my fight. They're not my enemy. What I'm up against is the powers and the principalities of this world. I'm up against the spirit of greed. I'm up against the spirit of power. I'm up against the spirit of jealousy. I'm up against some elemental spirits. Not my friend, not my brother, my sister, not even the stranger. But there's something bigger at work here. That's how the people of God discern. The unseen world. It goes on, verse 13, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in times of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. You see, many of these people in these shows, at the end of the show, everybody loses. Everybody loses. The victim loses. People who shot the victim loses. The families lose. Everybody lost. But what it says in, chapter, in verse 13, put on every piece of armor so that we can resist. It will be your temptation. It will be. When there's injustice, it will be your temptation. Verse 14. See, this language, if you just were to pull that out, stand your ground. But in the context of Jesus, standing my ground is standing my ground against the forces in the heavenlies, in the spiritual places, not against this person in front of me. I don't need a weapon to stand my ground for the person in front of me, but I do need the armor of God to stand my ground against the forces that are motivating this person and sometimes myself. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth putting on the body armor of God's righteousness. Uh, For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, it sounds like a pretty big shopping list. So if we just look at it, here's what it says. To stand, you're going to need real truth. Real truth. And the real truth is not just, he stole my car. That might be true, but that's the secondary truth. That's the secondary truth. There's a greater truth. What is the greater truth? It's that there are powers and principalities of elemental spirits of darkness that are at work in this injustice. That is the primary truth. What is the other primary truth? That Satan is at work in those with a motivation to steal, kill, and destroy. What is the other primary truth? The other primary truth is that God is at work in that very same circumstance wanting to redeem and to heal and to restore. That's what's at play. That's the truth. That's what's on the table. The car, the job, all those things are pawns in the warfare. Satan's desire is that we are captured by the eye candy. We're captured by the pawn. We're hooked into what we can see. Because as long as we're hooked by that, we don't see the part that's at work against us. We need the truth. We need righteousness. We need our righteousness. What is that righteousness? It means that we are standing in the presence of, and in the love and in the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are standing in a place where we are not stepping in to sin. When I choose to not attack back, I'm choosing a place of righteousness. When I turn to look at my own heart instead of their heart, I choose a place of righteousness. When I, when I determine in that moment that I will focus on what Jesus has done for me to make me okay, to make me righteous, I'm stepping into my righteousness. You see, as I'm doing this, it's disarming the enemy. I'm standing in truth, and I'm standing in righteousness. And I rely on the good news, the reality that Jesus died for me. And not only that he died for me, but he died for the person or persons I'm in conflict with. That he died so that this scenario would not exist. He died so that, so that this scenario could be fixed. That there is hope and there is power in that hope because Jesus did this for all of us, not just for me, against them, not just for them, against me. You see, what God says is if you allow that to, it will bring you great peace. We have the truth. We stay in righteousness. And we dwell and we engage the peace that comes from the good news. Faith, salvation, the Word of God. We take that faith. And all that faith means is I'm going to act on the truth and the righteousness. I'm going to embrace the peace. In other words, I'm going to step into those things that I believe are real and I am going to act upon them instead of on my feelings. Pray in the Spirit at all times. At all times, I am reaching to God to feed me, heal me, touch me, make me strong. Stay alert. Be persistent. Stay alert. Be persistent. And pray for others around us that are working to do the same thing. You see... Because this person here is a spiritual person. This person here, it will be a natural thing for them to pray for the sick with great expectation. It'll be a natural thing for them to do supernatural things. And this is where the first century church was living. It was living in this place. And so when they encountered the world, You saw cities, towns, families being convinced of the reality of a God that worked in this realm that they had no power over. And in that place, they had hope and they believed. If you could stand.